Are we good? I think we're live at this point here with uh, the Foundry Church. This is our very first Sunday here um, live streaming. So welcome to the Foundry today, wherever you're joining us from. So here's what I love to do. In church, we often take time. We're like, turn around, greet your neighbor. But in the age of social distancing, here's what I'd like to do. Just do me a favor. I can't follow it. Um, online because I'll get distracted and we all know ADD runs deep in me. But um, I would like you to just type into the comments, good morning from, and it can be Zealand, it can be, I don't know, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from. Just take a minute, turn around and say good morning to the people around you. We don't have any covering music for this. I'm just waiting for you to do this. So go ahead, get into the comments, greet people around you, and we are gonna dive in. But we're gonna start with church announcements because you can't have church without announcements. It's just fun. Good job. Look at you being all social. Um, I'll just ask, because you know this. Hang on. I got to, don't be alarmed. <coughs> I had to cough a little there. Um, like, is anybody else, I know introverts are so like, they love social distancing. You people were hardwired for this. But for me as an extrovert, man, this is, this is rough. So grace and peace to us extroverts who can't come within six feet of people without the federal government coming down on us. So uh, welcome today as we dive in. A couple of announcements, a uh, couple of things I just wanna throw out at you as the Foundry Church. First of all, thank you for your continued just following, sharing, and being part of the Foundry as we share our devotions um, on Facebook and get uh, kind of our media message out of devotions and our content, basically, living in the Word of God as the people of God. Thank you for being a part of that. Continue to like, share, and be um, active on those platforms. It's the best way we can stay engaged, even though we're socially distanced. Um, second thing is this. I want to give a shout out to a couple of people real quick, because Pretty much every week you see Justin's face or you see my face up on stage and we're teaching, we're leading worship and we're doing things. But here's the thing, there's an army of people that make this happen. And I know a lot of us have gone into shutdown, but this past week I would say Kyle Nelson, our tech director and producer, has put in one of those 70 hour weeks. He has been working his tail off to make this happen. So Kyle, thank you so much. To Sean Hunter, who's behind the camera right now. Thank you guys who are behind the scenes Rob on the, would have been for all you who came in on the tech side to pull this off and get our content recorded and ready to go. Thank you so much for making us um, a little more active and a, our stuff look really good on the, the social media and digital platforms. Thank you for what you're doing and how you're doing it. I'm going to invite you right now. We're just going to take a moment of silence and pray together. Then we are going to dive into the church in Laodicea. Lord Jesus Christ, we as your church gather today with the hope and assurance that you are speaking, that your word is living, it is active, and we can hear the sound of your voice. And I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would gather your church together right here and right now in order that we could be at the table of your word, that we could be at the table and we could feast on your word and find ourselves satisfied, challenged, and grown. Lord, thank you for times where maybe things just fall apart and we realize how thin the veneer is on this world and the comforts we have, but how sure and how strong the gospel of Jesus Christ is and how it is unshakable on days like this. We love you, Lord, and give you thanks. Amen. So we're finishing today our 
our series on the seven churches in Revelation. When God put it on our hearts this last fall to work on a series in Revelation, we had no idea, you know, I mean, Corona was still Mexico's finest export, right? It was not something we knew about. So, so I have to trust that God is working in this in such a way that we as the church, we really should tune our ear to what's going on and what Jesus is saying. And I will say, this teaching feels very... It feels very much like, wow, that was written yesterday, but it wasn't. Actually, this teaching and the work we've done on it uh, through our content director and different things, this was done almost two months ago. So when you realize that, that the Holy Spirit is working ahead of us, speaking a word that should challenge and transform us, I would, I would encourage you, church, listen closely to what the Spirit is saying to the churches today. We need to tune our ear and be very serious about what we know the Spirit is saying to the churches today, the church in Laodicea. To start this, what I would like to do is kind of use a rhythm or a format, kind of using the idea of things kids say, you know, kids or young people say, then the way maybe we as adults or, or grown-ups actually kind of say it or live it out in our own values, followed by how Jesus responds. There's this church in Laodicea that has some, some rhythms and some behaviors and some dependencies or securities around them that we as the church Today, we have. So this works really well. So it'll be very much a kid's say, actually we say, and what does Jesus respond with? We're going to use the words of Christ spoken through John, uh, the Apostle John, who is on the island of Patmos. We're going to use those words to let it speak into our life today, because I think it's an accurate and good word. Kids say the darndest things. My daughter Isabella came home from school, and it was like preschool or three school. It was one of those, the first year, just a little fellow, right? She's just this little thing, pigtails, cute as can be. And she comes home, and she, she says to Erica, my wife, Mama, they keep calling me Isabella. And Erica says, oh, honey, it's okay. Because for Bella, what we called her Bella, Bella Boo, the Boof, like we had different nicknames for her. Um, and then we had called her that. We'd never call her, called her Isabella. So she's like, mama, they're calling me Isabella. And Erica said, oh, Bella, it's okay. You're, you, you are Isabella. And she goes, I know. And you are, you is a mama. And we we're like, oh, no, that's not how it works, right? She, she didn't fully understand what what the what she was saying that that's her name but she kind of you know kind of transposed it onto her mom so let's take this first kind of kids quote and see how it works nothing is working have you ever had one of your kids say this? I remember when I first moved to San Diego, I was a lanky mess of a 14-year-old, and I got a job at Dave Meyer Corvette Specialty right there in La Mesa on University Boulevard. And um, I was, I would break down brake calipers for him. I would sweep the lots. And one day, Dave um, came out and gave me a, a new broom. <laughs> I just think that's awesome. Here's your new broom awesome. And um, it was a huge broom. It was a mighty broom with these long, like four inch bristles. And they were super firm. And I was out there trying to sweep and I was like, oh, it's so hard. I can't do it. And I couldn't really push the dirt. And I went back in. I will never forget this. Such shame. I go back in and I say to Dave, the broom doesn't work. 
And he comes and he's like, really? It doesn't work? Like you could see, like, I've never heard of this. He goes out. I'm like, yeah, every time I try to push it, it just doesn't really pick anything up. And he takes it. He couldn't have applied more than three pounds of pressure. And he's like, and he goes, the broom's fine. Do you have any muscle you can push with? And I was like, I do. And the next thing I knew, I was out there sweeping. The broom doesn't work. Nothing is working. What happens when we realize, because as adults, we kind of realize that nothing is working in our own life. Do you ever find yourself muttering this or saying this, especially right now? Nothing is working. Nothing is working on this. Do all your attempts to take control or get things stable or get things together, do they seem to just kind of fail Are they useless? Like you work real hard on something and then you end up not even needing it because your efforts are useless and nothing is working? working? Do you ever feel caught in the middle with nothing to show for all your hard labor? I mean, literally, right now, isn't it? Like right now, you feel caught in the middle. Like, do we make plans? Do we just hunker down and ride things out? What do we do right now? The church in Laodicea, was in this geographical region known as the Lycus Valley. And there were two cities on either side of it. There was Heropolis, and it had a natural hot springs. And that hot springs had medicinal properties. So people would go and soak in those waters and put the mud on them or something, whatever. And uh, those hot springs had medicinal properties. On the other side of the valley was um, Colossae. Now, Colossae is actually mentioned in the Bible through the book of Colossians. A Colossian is like, um, you know, a Colossian is like a Michigander or a Coloradan or a Californian, right? Somebody who is from a region. So the book of Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul, was written to the church in Colossae. Colossae is on the other end of this valley, on the other side of this valley, and they received, their water came straight out of the mountains, the runoff water. It was fresh, it was clean, it was cold. So you have Heropolis with the medicinal hot springs. You have... um, Colossae with this refreshing ice cold mountain water and then Laodicea sat right in the middle at the down kind of at the end of the valley of the Lycus Valley and they piped water in and it meandered down through this piping system down through the middle of the valley in the hot Mediterranean sun and it just kind of baked in there and when it got to Laodicea the water was nasty like the people couldn't even gag it down. They were left with this lukewarm, kind of gnarly water that they couldn't gag down. It made people nauseous, made them gag when they drank it. It was terrible water. It was right in the middle, right? To the angel of the church of Laodicea, right? Revelation 3, 14 to 16. These are the words of the amen and the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Laodicea was stuck in the middle. Heropolis with the hot springs, Colossae with the ice cold mountain water, and Laodicea running it down the middle. It was stuck in the middle, in the center, which caused it to be, to be really, it missed its opportunity. It was neither healing, nor was it refreshing. It was just kind of eh, in the middle. It wasn't really worth anything. Here's the thing we can apply this. When we are obsessed with self, when we get ourselves stuck in the center, here's what we know. 
When we're out there getting what we want for us, here's the thing that gets me, church. Like, look at our world right now. Right now, we have people going out and hoarding baby wipes so they can sell them for a profit on eBay. Like, how messed up is that? Getting what we want for us, making a profit off of whatever you want to say, the, the hand um, Purell stuff, soap, toilet paper, what? Like, what's going on? But when we get ourselves in the center, what we find is we are neither healing nor refreshing to the world around us. And when I look at what's going on in our nation right now and people hoarding for themselves, it, it kind of breaks my heart and it should be a word to us in the church to say, don't ever justify you being at the center of it all. Because if you're at the center of the Eva. If you're at the center of it all, you are neither healing, you are neither healing or refreshing. You are nauseating. I am nauseating when I get myself in the middle. We do that when we behave that way. We become nauseatingly lukewarm. Another kid's uh, quote that uh, we can take, um, I can do it myself. Now, I feel like this may be um, something that has gone on a lot in the past week. Let's say uh, you have little kids, and you're doing like a family night movie night, and you've got a tray with uh, some Coke on it, glasses of Coke, and it's there. You have a big bowl of Skittles, because you've got to taste the rainbow, and um, you've, got, you've got one kid who just likes Apple Jacks, so there's a bowl of cereal, and then you've got Apple Jacks. Where did that even come from? It's like my childhood just jumped forward. And then another big bowl of popcorn, right? And then just a smattering of mini candy bars, because you've got to wash it all down with something healthy. And um, it's on the tray, and the glasses are too close, so when you walk, they clink, clink, and, um, and you hear, like, carrying it downstairs is a chore, but imagine with me a child being like, I can do it myself. And before you can get to them, a three-year-old grabs that tray and is like, no. And they walk forward and like, gadoosh, and it spills everywhere. And you're like, you can't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. Has every, I think every parent, I think everybody has had this experience. But we as adults have experienced this too. When we think, I can do it myself, I can do what I need to do, when we push God away and we don't rely on him and we find ourselves leaning into our own might, our own power, manipulating circumstances or people to get a desired outcome, pushing through, we rely on ourselves and we push God away and we kind of say, I can do this myself. The church in Laodicea thought this. The church in Laodicea had that kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. I can do this myself. And we need to understand Jesus speaks a corrective word into the church of Laodicea that says, you cannot do it yourself. These are the words of Jesus Christ to the church. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, Poor, blind, and naked. Wow. I mean, those are some serious words. You say that you're rich, but Jesus says, none of that. You are none of those things. Everything you're confident in is nothing. 
Over and over in the book of Revelation, we hear Jesus saying this, I see you. I see your hard works. I see your faithfulness. I see your perseverance. He sees us time and again. I see your deeds. When we know that Jesus Christ sees us, he knows what we are doing. He is watching us struggle to do it ourselves. Quite often, he's watching us struggle when all we would need to do is turn to him and invite the author of creation, the first word of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our circumstance and be Lord over it. But we're like that little toddler with a tray full of snacks. I got it. And we're just making a mess of things. We need to listen and understand that when we have confidence in ourselves, it's foolish. I'm thinking of my own family right now in this circumstance. I can't tell you. So Joshua who's watching from home, what up, Josh, is a senior, and, um, and this is kind of lame, right, if I'm honest, for Josh and all his buddies who, I mean, all his friends, all his classmates, all the kids in our nation right now who are seniors, they're getting ready for prom, they're getting ready for their last spring sports season or the, the, the spring musical that got canceled and all these, all the hard work and they're 12th graders. It's a graduation time. It's a celebration and everything's changing. We as a family decided that what we were going to do is we were going to do a big spring break trip with our family one last time because it's just kind of a special thing. You want to go and be a little family. And we know next year he's going to college and um, I don't want to start crying on live stream, but I'm, we'll deal with that later. Um, but he's going away to college and I'm happy for him and I'm excited, but we wanted to do this trip. And all our plans have been just like all your plans. We have worked, Erica and I, different hours of the night trying to figure out how to make it work, doing different things, trying different things, making different phone calls. And finally, after all our vain efforts that weren't working, we finally just said, this is probably three or four days ago, Let's just lay it before God. Let's just pray about it. Because we wanted to do it ourselves. We wanted to make it work. And it wasn't in God's plan. And having to cancel those plans was devastating. Devastating because we're like, that's not what we wanted. We wanted to handle it ourselves, but there was no way to do it. So we finally just said, let's just give it to God. He gave us peace. But it really didn't change our circumstances. But having peace in those circumstances does. Next thing we hear kids say, this is a little bit older kids, I need money. Have you ever had that? Like, as a father of kids who are involved in different things, man, I feel like between August and October, my kids walk, like, walk up to me in the morning, take whatever money is in my wallet, throw it in a chipper, and walk away. Yeah, I need money. I need money for this sports camp, this uniform. I need money for these pictures. I need money. I need money. I need, you know, everything. Everybody needs money, right? And these kids come up like, I need money. And here's the thing. So you give money. We'll just use football. You give money for the football camps, the equipment, the different things. And then you buy the card, um, you know, that you hang on your fridge and never use the coupons for. I need money. And we just keep giving and giving. And the next thing we see is we go to the football game and they say, I need money. So you pay to watch the kid play. So you go in, you watch him play. Halfway through the game, one of the kids goes, I'm going to go to the snack bar. I need money. And you're like, awesome. So you're just like, I, I just, all 
day, right? That's how it goes, and you're just giving money away. At the end of the game, you go up and you hug their big sweaty, you know, person. You're like, good job, buddy. Well, you know, well done. And like, hey, um, I haven't been able to work lately. I need some money to go out with my friends. Oh, I need money, right? I need money. It's something that is said quite often. But here's the thing. We as adults, we often think money is our answer. I mean, current like situation. We're all worried about our economy, and rightly so, but money's not the answer. When we think money is our answer, here's what we find. Money can become a goal. Money can become a god. Money can become an obsession. Money can become a false sense of security where you may have looked in your 401k on January 21 and been like, dude, I can retire in three years. And you're like, wow, my kids can't even retire now. If money is our goal, our obsession, and our god, we will find that we have no security. No security in this world because money is not a source of security, and here's one of the important things. It's also, your approval isn't rooted in how much money you have. Your approval, now the world may approve of you more, but your approval is written only in the blood of Christ. Here's what it says in the minor prophet Hosea. So Hosea is one of the prophetic voices of the Old Testament, right? Genesis through the book of Malachi. Hosea is one of the minor prophets in there. In Hosea chapter 12, Verse eight, listen to this. Ephraim boasts. So Ephraim was one of the half tribes of Israel. Won't go a ton of into it, but the people of Israel. I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. What that tells me is that Jesus is saying to them, you may think you're rich, but you are poor, wretched, blind, pitiful, and naked. So what does Jesus tell them? I counsel you, this is Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy gold from me refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Jesus counsels us on what really matters. Jesus gives a word to the church in Laodicea, a word to the Foundry Church, a word to the global church to buy from him the only thing that matters. He says, get your gold, get your wealth from me. And we'll quickly find that our wealth in Jesus Christ isn't rooted in money. He's talking about a refining process. So let's just talk real quick. We're the Foundry Church. And some people may be like, why are we the Foundry? What does that mean? Here's what it means. The Foundry Church is named after the Foundry process. Uh, it's one of the dirtiest, filthiest, most physically intensive jobs in the world to work in a foundry. It takes rough, broken, raw materials, melts them down, purifies them, and turns them into something extraordinarily useful. So here's how we know it in our modern context. The Foundry church is committed to seeing people come in as, come as you are, meet God on his terms, not ours. But understand this, we come in as a raw kind of like open, we need Jesus. But then as God works in us, Jesus does the thing he says. He gives us gold refined in the fire. 
What does that mean? When you take gold and you melt it down, let's say we got a, a block, a bar of gold from like, you know, one of those Alaskan gold rush shows. And we got a bar of gold and we put it into the furnace, we melt it down and we pour it into a mold. And then I think it's called a slag screen where you come and you sweep the dross off of the top of the gold. The impurities rise, the, the pure gold sinks and you come across the top and you scrape away all of the impurities, but it takes a complete liquefying of the metal. You have to liquefy it, but it strengthens, like in steels and different things, it strengthens the steel to be heated up and cooled down. It purifies it. They take the impurities out, and what Jesus is saying in this is that we need to understand that what matters to Jesus Christ is not our bank account, but have we gone through the process of being refined, being made pure, of God removing things from our lives. That's why we at the Foundry lean into transformation, being remade into the image of Christ, not Christ into our image because we know this, that when we look at, um, at being refined and being purified, it does break us down. Most of us, I would say, are in a liquid state right now with our families, maybe finances, job situations, all this. feels very kind of broken down. I would invite you to hear what Jesus says in this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. I counsel you, Jesus says. I invite you to hear the wisdom of Christ and be made into the image of him. Let him sweep away the impurities and literally turn you into a gleaming pure kind of bar of gold. Somebody whose worth and value is beyond words or any monetary value. Next thing we hear kids say, um, I have nothing to wear, but I'm gonna pivot on this one. Don't worry, I got permission and my home life is fine after telling this story. But I wanna take you back to um, Erica and I were newlyweds. Now, I had never lived with a girl before because, um, because I only had a brother. I did, my mom, my mom's a girl. Oh, she's watching today, I'm sorry, mom. You, you're, you are a girl, I, ah. It's live, there's nothing I can do. I just, I beg, yeah. So I'd never been raised with a girl who was my own age. I had never lived in a house with a girl who's my own age. Uh, to which Erica says, I'm younger. And I'm like, that's just hurtful. But um, so being married to Erica, we're, we go on our honeymoon and I'll never forget, we're a couple days in and she comes out of the bathroom, she'd been getting ready and she comes out and she's like, I have nothing to wear. And I was like, what? Like, were we robbed? Like, it made no sense, man. Nothing to wear. So I, being an amazing husband and filled with intuition, went like this. Well, your suitcase is right there with clothes in it. And she just looked at me, and it wasn't rage. It was more sorrow at the ignorance I possessed. And she just looked at me, and she's like, that all looks stupid on me. And, like, stormed off. And I was like, then why'd you pack it? Why would you pack it? Justin's back there giggling. Because it happens. You're like, what? Like, I didn't pack her suitcase. She did. And, and, and I couldn't figure it out. I was like, what do you mean you have nothing to wear? The suitcase is full. But she was saying, I have nothing to wear. Culturally, here's what happens. When we think appearance is what matters, when we think appearance is what matters, we turn to anything and everything to make us look whole, to make us look complete. 
Like the, the apostle James said, you know, being mature, you are being grown through th- things to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, to be whole. We all give this image of being whole and our appearance on social media can communicate something that is wildly untrue, that we're not whole. Maybe our physical appearance. We look and we think, you know, I look, I look good today. You're like, that is nice. The temple's on point, right? You feel good about yourself. And when we find ourselves as adults thinking appearances are what matters, either physically or our social appearance out there in the world, we have no idea that we are actually in the process of shaming ourselves and that the place that really matters, which is our heart, is thoroughly neglected. When we're so worried about appearances, we often fail to do the work in the one place that matters, which is our heart. The Lord Jesus Christ said to the religious leaders of his day in uh, the gospel, I believe, Matthew, I don't have chapter and verse, I'm sorry, but... um, The Gospel of Matthew, the Pharisees, they were these religious scholars. They wore awesome robes and, uh, you know, had like super cool hats and all this stuff. And they were looking, kind of judging Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you brood of vipers, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You're completely necrotic in the area that matters. I love that, that Jesus would say it. And he says it again to the church of Laodicea. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich. Then it goes on to say, and to buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. So we know this, Laodicea, the gold language would have mattered because they were a banking center. But Laodicea was also a region known for its exotic black wool. They were known for their garments, for their money and for their garments And Jesus is saying, you think you look good, but you're naked. Like, anybody else ever have that bad dream? Like, all of a sudden, you're walking through school, and you're like, oh, I forgot to get dressed. And, you know, you wake up, and you're like, (laughs) you know, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And Jesus is saying in this, he's flat out saying this, buy from me gold, which truly gives you security, a life refined in the fire, and buy from me white clothes, to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. So let me ask you a question. Do you and I know what it means to be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Do we know the power and the authority of that? Do we understand the impact that the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is the garments we put on? The righteousness of Christ is given to us. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. And we trade that for our own outward appearance of righteousness or some broken version of wholeness. Our righteousness, our good works, our efforts are nothing. They're garbage compared to the incredible goodness and riches of God in being given the very righteousness of Christ. So how could being someone who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ, how could that transform your life? I believe this. I believe being clothed in the the righteousness of Christ is transformative because it does one thing. It puts our purpose 
given to us by God when we were knit together in our mother's womb. It gives our purpose clarity. We begin to understand what God made us for and what God gave us to do. And we quit striving to be all these other things. And we rest in the righteousness of Christ and his purposes for the life we live. God has a purpose for us, not just people who work in churches, but he has a purpose for you business workers, for everybody who works in the construction field, any industry at all. You have a purpose, and it can only be made clear when you lean into your identity in Jesus Christ. It can never be made clear by your own good works, by your own good deeds. Those, I mean, they're just, they're nothing. They're nothing if you think that's gonna be the thing that helps you. This gives us clarity on our purpose. When we find ourselves dressed in the righteousness of Christ, we wanna do one thing. We wanna glorify him. And so we start looking at the gifts and talents he gave us and we start employing them for his glory in the work we do, the life we live, the educations we get, and the way we express ourselves. We begin to have purpose in the lives we were given by Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing. Transformation becomes a constant part of our lives because we realize that our own righteousness is pretty worthless, so what ends up happening is our righteousness, our efforts at it are thrown away, and we cling to Jesus, and we become, by the Holy Spirit's work in our life, the conviction of sin and our willingness to respond by repentance and following Jesus, we are transformed step by step into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Transformation becomes a constant. And people look at us and say, I don't know what's different about them, but their motivations have changed. Their desires have changed. They are people with a purpose. We look at this and we understand. We have something to wear. It's the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next kid's statement that we've heard. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? When we look at that and we see that that question comes from a lot of our kids, a lot of our kids, preteen and teenagers, who are looking at their friends who are doing things they know they were raised not to do, and they're looking at them going, should I live the party life? Should I live the immoral life? Should I sneak and look at things I shouldn't? Should I do all these things? Because if I don't follow my friends, I'm alone. What am I supposed to do, mom and dad? What am I supposed to do? I don't wanna be alone. I don't wanna be isolated. How many of you parents have heard this from your kids who are wrestling against following the crowd of friends into a life of isolation, it feels like. What am I supposed to do? What happens when we as adults can't see what we're supposed to do? I think we do the same thing they do. We start looking everywhere for answers. I don't know how many of you are listening to podcasts right now, but I would guess the listenership is up. I don't know how many of you are reading different books right now, I can guarantee there will be a glut of books coming on the market in the next six weeks about how to ride out the current economic storm for your own best. We look everywhere for advice. We look everywhere and listen to anyone for input, for opportunity. 
We look to the stars, right? We follow them on Twitter and Insta and different things, and they're singing songs, and you're like, what in the world? We look to the stars for maybe some wisdom. Maybe they know what's going on because they've reached the ultimate goal. They're famous. What, what are you saying? Oh, you're just singing off tune. Awesome. Right? It's devastating. We've got other people who look to the heavenly stars, and they crack open the horoscope. What does Zodiac have to say today? We start looking anywhere and everywhere to get answers on what we're supposed to do. We have people who put out Facebook quotes. It's like, live, laugh, love. How's that going to help? How's that going to help? We're not going to find it in these kitschy statements that are just this thick. We, we need to look and understand what Jesus says. We need to see what we're supposed to do. There's another thing Laodicea was famous for. It was for an eye salve. It was for a thing, a medicinal eye salve for your eyes. They were famous for it. People came from everywhere to get it. They came and got this eye salve. So they had the banking industry. They had the garment textile industry. And they had this kind of medicinal eye salve industry going on in Laodicea. And this is what Jesus says to them. Buy gold for me refined in the fire so that you may become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. See, we think these things will really help us when our eyes can only be healed by Christ, when, when really the only thing that matters is the answer to this question, Lord Jesus, can you show me what's on your heart? Can you show me what's on your heart so that I can prophetically speak into the world the matter that's close to the heart of God? Instead of responding to every cultural you know, whim and quiver, we can actually speak what's on the heart of God. When our eyes need to be healed first by Jesus Christ, then we begin to see what matters to him. And remember, Jesus Christ, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, has seen all. He sees big. You and I have a limited perspective. We have tunnel vision right now. And we're looking, we're like, oh, what's going on? And we've got to remember the only way to see correctly in this is to look and say, Lord Jesus, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? Reveal that to me. Because right now, I've got tunnel vision. God, heal my eyes so I can see what I'm supposed to do. We as a church are going through this. We're having a phenomenal time being creative in the ways we get to do church. Because right now, there's usually hundreds of people in the room. And as far as I can tell, there's five right now. Five, and we're still the church. We're still gathered. We're still gathered all over this nation and planet. Praise God for that. God, what are we supposed to do? Heal our eyes so that we can see what you see. Finally, the kid phrase, nobody cares about me. I think this works perfectly. Just imagine your mom, you've gone out to get some groceries, you, um, you had to buy extra newspaper because the toilet paper was gone, and you're like, oh my word, and you get home, most of the shelves were picked off, and you're like, oh my goodness, so you get home, and you've got a little three-year-old, and your husband meets you at the door, and you're kind of bringing groceries in and stuff, it's like, why'd you buy this? Do not even Good enough. We'll find what to do with hominy. Um, but you know, you're just you're working through your your grocery list. You're home. You get home, and then you look at the side of your you know your car, and you're like, oh, somebody whacked the car. 
oh my goodness, what is going on? So your husband, you're looking at the car and you're like, awesome, we'll call the insurance, we'll deal with this later. Everything just seems like, oh, and you're bringing in everything you got at this store, you set it down. All the while there's a three-year-old, mom, 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 watch his fruit snacks, I wanted fruit snacks, did you get fruit snacks? I need them so much to live. And I was just wondering, did you get fruit snacks, mom, mom? It's okay, don't worry about the scratch, mom. Mom, I need fruit snacks. Did you get fruit snacks? Finally, you look and you say, no, I'm sorry, the fruit snacks were gone, and they're like this. No one cares about me. I need fruit snacks. And they melt down into a puddle on the floor. Here's fruit snacks. Welches, where are you? And and you're looking at them going, "Are, are, are are you kidding me? Of course I care about you. They just didn't have fruit snacks. But we allow ourselves as adults to be all dejected, to be all sulky. You know, we, we walk by a coworker in these stressful days, we're like, you know, hey, and they're like, hey, and you're like, oh, I wonder why they hate me now. I mean, I, I wasn't real nice and I borrowed the spork off their yogurt out of the staff fridge, but you know, I washed it and put it back. I hope they didn't find out that was me. Do you think they're, they're not mad at me, I guess. Yeah, maybe, maybe they are, maybe I should apologize. But it seems like such a small deal for them to be mad about a spork two months ago to not even say hi to me and I just, I feel like that's weird and I know they're gonna socially ostracize me. They're gonna put this on Facebook and after they do that, what if they go to Instagram and put a picture of of like me and a spork and it's forky and it's like, you know, used and, and never asked for and, and oh my goodness, and if they tweet about me, what if, what if a big Twitter following gets onto this and I become a viral thing? I can't believe they would do this to me. And really, the only reason they didn't greet you is because they backed over the neighbor's cat on the way to work. And they weren't thinking about you, but we sulk and we wallow and we think everything is about us. We do what Laodicea was. We get in the middle and put ourselves in the middle and we begin falsely accusing others and then we begin falsely accusing God. And we need to be careful, church, in these hard times. God is for you. He is not against you. And there is nothing on this planet that God won't do to reach you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you of your sin, not to give you your best life now, because your only life is in Jesus Christ. He sent you into this world, he sent Jesus into this world to redeem what was broken, and that is us. So we look at this and we know that we've gotta be careful not being like, God, how could you cause this economic meltdown? I was retiring in two years. God, what's going on? Why are you so mad at me right now? My, my relationships are floundering. God, you know I struggle with anxiety. Why are you doing this to me? God, you know I struggle with depression and now I feel very alone. God, 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 and we shake our hands at the God who loves us and is stripping a lot of things away to reveal the one thing that matters. Revelation 3, 19. These words will hit home. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Church, let that sink in. There are things we have justified and participated in that God doesn't justify or participate in. And he's calling us 
to be earnest and repent. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. What intimate picture of closeness is that? That Jesus says over the rage and roar of culture, he stands at the door and he just knocks and he doesn't hope for anything other than you'll hear the knocking. Be like, oh, what is that? And go open the door and find the Lord Jesus Christ waiting, not to judge you, not to be mean to you, but to come in, sit at the table, and have lunch. We have taken, um, we have allowed ourselves to sulk and whine and pretend that the God who loves us so much is mad at us when the words of Jesus Christ are that he's waiting patiently at the door of our heart saying, can I just come in? Can I just come in? Can I come in and give peace into this circumstance? Can I come in and share a meal with you and have close, intimate conversation, yet we'll scroll all day, we'll do everything but attend to the relationship that matters most, and we'll even blame the God who loves us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Jesus Christ died so God could be in relationship with you. He stands at the door of your heart knocking, and you and I are in a moment where everything is being stripped away, tune your ear to the sound of the knocking, the wooing, the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come home. Come back to what matters. Leave your money, leave your clothes and appearance, leave your, you know, your medicine, your vision on life, your, your perspective that gives you this wholeness, that salve you have that the world tells us what matters, leave it all behind and come and have lunch with the one who has never left you, never forsaken you and calls you his own. You and I have ignored Jesus Christ long enough. Church, listen up. He remains at the door of our heart according to the word of Revelation, knocking, hoping that we hear him. Finally, we have some silence in our life. Listen, open the door and let him come in. Just come back. Yes, for some of us, he's disciplining us. This feels like discipline. But I'll tell you what, I've seen kids who are disciplined and I've seen kids who are undisciplined. Trust me, the parent who loves their child does discipline them. They do discipline them. It's not easy, it's not fun, and my mom and dad were right when they said it when I got spanked when I was little. This is gonna hurt me more than it does you, and I thought, that is a lie. But it's true, because they loved me. He loves you. If he's disciplining you, he's calling you back to himself. One of the best moments in parenting uh, with discipline is this. When it's done, when you come back to the embrace and they understand that you really don't care about anything but their character being formed. Jesus Christ cares only that you know he loves you and that you receive him, repent of all things and follow him in mission. In closing, Revelation 3. 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Foundry Church, I invite you to take some time and to reflect on these words. And let's see, let's see what, what we're holding on to that maybe needs to be let go of so we can grab on to him, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can put him at the center and find our lives 
both healing and refreshing. Grace and peace.